Bloomberg uh, from Holland, the United States, and for the, more than the last 20 years in, in Hanoi. Uh, he'll tell the story there of his being pastor of the Hanoi International Fellowship. But would you give him a warm welcome this morning? Well, thank you so much, John, and for the leadership to invite me to share with you this morning. It's been a real privilege to uh, already hear some of the stories, um, not just me talking, but also listening to some of the testimonies. And even now, this uh, update from Uganda, how focused you are on missions, and not only missions overseas, but wanting to do missions right here in your own neighborhood. And so that's why I was asked to uh, speak today to share with you some uh, stories that uh, we've experienced in Hanoi, as well as a, a scriptural foundation for doing community services. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. But I want to start off with just telling of what is happening in Hanoi. Earlier in the Adult Bible Fellowship, I shared a little bit already, but I said, just wait off till service and I'll tell stories. So here it is. Here's a missions report from Hanoi, Vietnam. But before I say that, I uh, just want to introduce my family to you. If uh, the clicker is working. Uh... Yeah, it's on, yeah. Just a moment. Let's see. There you go. Yep. So here's my family. Uh, so like uh, John said, I'm from Holland. I'm Dutch, 100%. Uh, my wife is Pennsylvania Dutch, so the best American you can get. Uh, she's from Southern area. Uh, was uh, became a Christian through a Mennonite church. We met when we both worked with youth, youth with a mission with YWAM in Amsterdam, where both of us were on staff. And then, uh, long story short, in '97. We arrived in Hanoi, Vietnam. That was the year that the embassy, uh, the U.S. embassy had just opened up and the nation was just opening up to uh, international trade and foreigners coming to live there. And so uh, those were very tight, uh, tightly uh, secured days where we were mostly afraid of being kicked out of the country. Uh, no longer like that, and my story will highlight that, but that, that's how we started. And my daughter, my oldest daughter uh, on the right here, Liana, she was three the day after we arrived, but now she is working with YWAM herself, based out of Perth and currently in Indonesia. And then uh, my son just graduated college, Josiah, uh, went to Azusa Pacific University in LA and got a job now at the school where my wife is uh, the counselor, the international school that is started by the Lutherans. And then my youngest daughter, Michaela, she was born in Vietnam, so she is, uh, although she doesn't have a Vietnamese passport, uh, that is her home country. And now she's going overseas to America to go to college. So she's an international student, and I'm bringing her to Gordon College in Boston uh, this week, taking her to college and going home empty nest. <laughs> so that's uh, my family, and so like John said, we've been there 21 years and Hanoi is our, our home. And I'm the lead pastor of the Hanoi International Fellowship, HIF, which was started in 95 before we came, but I've been the lead pastor since 2005. And it was a, a congregation that originated from a really small group, started in a, in a living room of an expatriate, a foreigner, uh, an American, and for just about a dozen or so, uh, foreigners that were living there that wanted to have an evangelical service. Uh, and in those days, only foreigners could attend uh, our congregation. So uh, the government didn't want Vietnamese to come to an international church. 
They didn't want foreigners to have influence over Vietnamese about religion. Uh, so very much like China, Vietnam has that kind of history. But today it's become very different. Our church, uh, our focus is to glorify God among the, all the nations that are living in Hanoi uh, through Christ-centered worship, genuine relationships, transformational outreach. That is our focus, and we have more than 600 people worshiping in our different congregations from over 50-plus nationalities. We have three congregations. This is Westlake, where I am the main preacher, uh, and this is a meeting. We have a whole office floor that we have rented and renovated, uh, where we have two services on Sunday, and then two years ago we started an English service in a Vietnamese church. So the uh, Christian, Alliance, Christian Missionary Alliance, CMA, were the ones that pioneered the evangelical church in Vietnam. There were no Protestant churches in Vietnam except the French Protestant church during the colonial days, but the CMA were the ones that planted this church and over a hundred years ago in 1916. And now for the first time we have an English service in this church, and this is the only Protestant church building in the city of seven million. And that's 220 chairs. So how many, how many seats do you have here, do you know? A little more than that, I think. Uh, this is a much bigger place. But this is the only Protestant church building in the city of seven million, and the rest is all house churches. And so now we are partnering with them to run an English service to reach foreigners and Vietnamese uh, that have lived overseas and come back to, to provide a service for them. Well, long story short, but uh, our church, you know, started in a living room, then rented hotel ballrooms and meeting in the five-star hotels. And then, uh, but for all those years, we never had a piece of paper that said that we legally existed. There was no uh, legal framework for our church to exist. And so only last year in August, so a year from uh, this month, we received for the first time a piece of paper from uh, the government religious affairs office that said that Hanoi International Fellowship is indeed a church and we have these religious activities and I am the representative. So that only took 22 years for the church <laughs> to get registered. And so, but praise God, things are changing a lot now. And uh, this year we have a new law on belief and religion that uh, allows foreigners to worship and have church services. And for the first time, we are getting missionary visas for my church staff. And that's just a real awesome thing for, for if you consider the past of Vietnam and where it is at today, it gives us a lot of hope for tomorrow. But uh, I have a lot of stories to tell, and you'd be here all day. Uh, but I want to mainly focus on uh, the Love Hanoi story. It's something that we started in 2012. Uh, I had read this book and earlier shared in the class with this, uh, about this book, but John has a copy of it, uh, To Transform a City, and talks about a group of pastors that was praying for Boulder City in Colorado, and God told them, just love Boulder. Don't convert Boulder or reach Boulder or change Boulder, just love Boulder. And I'm like, but this is not America. We're not in Colorado, this is Hanoi. But God challenged us to start Love Hanoi anyway, and it's, uh, John asked me to, to answer the question, how did it get started? Well, actually, 
you know, like your church, we're a very much elder-led congregation. I'm the lead pastor, but I facilitate the eldership team in creating the vision for the church. And so we were praying during a prayer retreat for, with the elders about the, uh, the following year. So this was 2012, and we had nothing. Our whiteboard was clean, was just nothing written on it. And I was starting to really feel embarrassed. And I'm like, what am I going to tell the church? The elders had nothing. <laughs> Until one elder who I also read this book said, well, how about we start Love Hanoi? All the other elders who had not read the book and didn't know what we were talking about, all chimed in and said, yes, let's do Love Hanoi. No clue what we were getting into. And in fact, we had no idea. Of course, this is written in America. We're not in America. We're in Hanoi. And so no idea what that means in Hanoi, Vietnam. But we all felt God was leading us to just start it and see where it would take us. And that's really uh, the amazing story that I want to share with you this morning. We just started campaigning Love Hanoi. We uh, were invited to have a booth at a local community event, a, a, a bazaar organized by the International Women's Committee. And we printed uh, all kinds of promotional products like uh, shirts, you know, and polos and uh, I got the bracelet, and we have pens and mugs and whatever. We'll organize Love Hanoi conferences where we invite different charity organizations to share what they are doing, and out of that, partnerships happen. And then with the local church, uh, organize an interchurch football competition, a soccer competition called Love Hanoi competition to raise money for a charity. Those kind of things. We just started doing things. And uh, it just, you know, there's so many stories. One of the events that took place in 2014 is together with the Korean church and with the local church, we organized a joint Easter celebration. And the local pastor invited, of all government officials, he invited the security police, the police that we were afraid of, to our Easter celebration. And the chief of police came to this celebration. So here on the front row, you see the local pastor on the right, then the chief of police, and then the head of the department in Hanoi of the security police that kept track of all the pastors and Christians that are living in town that we were afraid of. And then other government officials from religious affairs, they came to our Easter celebration. And we're all nervous about this. But then we had an opportunity to visit the chief of police. He invited us to come to the police headquarters. And so we visited him once and then another time. And we exchanged gifts and uh, we were all nervous. He was nervous and we were nervous um, because <laughs> we didn't know each other, you know. They're afraid of Christians and we're afraid of the police. So that, uh, you know, realized that both of us uh, are, don't understand each other. And so he actually toured us uh, at the police headquarters and showed us this, this brand new theater that were just, was just about to be finished. And then he said, well, when it's done, you can have a Christmas concert here. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, the Christmas concert at the police headquarters. Who of the Christians are going to show up? You know, <laughs> so... But our church had already planned a Christmas concert at the local theater in our international church, and so we had, you know, so many nationalities on stage, great celebration. The, the, the TV came, and they called us the Love Hanoi Christmas Concert because we were raising funds 
for uh, charities at the same time during this time, concert. And I had invited chief of police and he came again with the head of the, the security, the so-called FBI uh, there that uh, keeps track of Christians and uh, together with the religious affairs and here with the local pastor. Uh, and we're standing in front of the, the banner and it's like, wow. And then a week later, the chief of police calls the local pastor and he invites us to come to the police headquarters to have a Christmas concert there. But he said he couldn't call it a Christmas concert, even the, he couldn't get permission to call it a Christmas concert, but we called it a cultural exchange that welcomed the new year. And so we had uh, local church choirs and bands uh, perform. And then, uh, the, so here's the audience. He had uh, the police uh, officials and officers and the Christians all together in the audience. And then the cadets would perform and they would sing about Ho Chi Minh being the light to the nation and sing about the, the values of the police. And then we would sing about Jesus Christ being the light of the nations. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Brazilian play saxophone, the Koreans play drums and a, a local pastor confessed his crimes to the police. He had been incarcerated five times as a drug addict and now has become a, a very well-known leader of drug rehabilitation center. And then here we are, uh, lots of pastors and police officials and national security uh, officials standing together at the end of this concert. Uh, just an amazing event, really a, a milestone in the history of that nation and the capital city. And the next day, the national security website po reports on this event and calls it the welcoming Christmas and New Year event. And then it says, it praises the Protestant church for their Love Hanoi campaign. So, you know, we only started two years before this, and two years later, the National Security Police is already re uh, recognizing that the Protestant churches are loving Hanoi. That was just, for me, a just tremendous uh, sign that God is in this. This is a kingdom thing, and he's bringing churches and government leaders together to love the city. And so soon after the new year, you know, in Vietnam we have Vietnamese New Year, like Chinese New Year, it's, it's after our, our New Year's here. And uh, the pastors again got to meet together. We went to visit the chief of police, but now the chief of police has been appointed as mayor of Hanoi City. And, you know, what this book talks about, and I thought is impossible, that pastors would go and meet the mayor. We actually already had a relationship with the mayor, uh, the former chief of police, and were able to bless him in his new role, and we developed a really good relationship over time. Now that was 2014-15. In 2016, uh, like I mentioned, the Evangelical Church was planted by the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, missionaries uh, in 1916, so in 2016, we celebrated 100 years of evangelical church in Hanoi together with all the other churches for the first time, all the pastors met together, and this is in my church facility in the office building. Uh, we host a lot of uh, get-togethers and pastors and conferences for local churches who do not have a facility like ours, but here we are, and we, what we did is we decided actually we don't understand each other. And so each of our denominations and uh, lead pastors wrote the history of our churches 
and how they came about in Hanoi and put it into a book. And for the first time ever, the church that has been underground for so long now went above ground, published, put their contact information, everything in a book that went public. It was just amazing sign of unity, an amazing sign of we are no longer afraid anymore of the local government because we have a good relationship with them. So the mayor allowed us to celebrate this 100-year event in a small, uh, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, I'm going blank here, <laughs> a stadium, yeah, indoor stadium that had about a 6,000 seating capacity. And we had this beautiful celebration, just uh, the local churches and the house churches and then the Korean church that did a beautiful concert in my church, very international uh, did a performance, and so we hosted this, and at the end of this, we were so excited as pastors in the city that we could do this, and we said, you know, next year, let's do it again, but bigger, you know, <laughs> we had no idea how we would do this, uh, but that we were just so elated. The following week, the local church pastor, that's, you know, the, the one of the local church uh, that uh, has that building that I partner with a lot, gets a call from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association the next week after this, and they ask him, would you be willing, uh, would the churches in Hanoi be willing to host the Billy Graham uh, Festival next year? <laughs> so we don't have to think about that very long. Uh, so the delegation went to Burma, Myanmar, to attend the festival there and to speak with Franklin Graham. And he and the pastors agreed, yes, we are going to do this. And so in 2017, it took a whole year of organizing and preparing for this festival. And the local church pastors, without my presence, without my influence, they decided to call it the Love Hanoi Festival. Now, now you, I don't know what you know about Franklin Graham. You can have all kinds of opinions about his and his political um, uh, uh, posts and whatever. But God has used Billy Graham and his kids to, to preach the gospel in so many nations. And, uh, you know, I had my questions too. And it was like Franklin Graham started following him on Facebook. It's like, but this is a God thing. And so... God used Franklin Graham and the Billy Graham Association to do something that was unimaginable in the history of Vietnam. For the first time in Vietnam, we were here, we were preparing for the biggest event in Christian history in the capital of this nation. And I was asked to lead a, one of the committees called the Love in Action Committee. And so now here I am implementing this vision of Love Hanoi where all the church leaders are working together in the whole city to love the city in practical ways, uh, just like Jeff was sharing earlier about in Uganda, how can we do practical outreach and really help the city with their material needs. And so we do all kinds of projects throughout that year together with different churches in partnership with different organizations. And the biggest project was this cleanup project in a very uh, impoverished neighborhood in the city below the train bridge. And we cleaned out together uh, with various organizations uh, 14 tons of trash 
from this one specific spot where if over a weekend, four, 140 people work together. Just an amazing uh, event and uh, even caught a lot of attention from the media. But you never know what can happen when you actually start working together, uh, together with all the churches, together with non-Christian uh, organizations for the benefit of the local community. It's amazing what God will do when you're willing to serve. But then the festival came, and December 8 and 9, we had the events in the same stadium. We couldn't get the national stadium. So the same stadium, 6,000 indoor seating, but we were allowed two days before the event. Ten days before the event, we got the permit. So here we're all organizing all year, not knowing if we would be permitted until ten days before. And two days before, they gave us permission to put stools outside. And on the day itself, instead of 3,000 stools outside, they said, it's ridiculous, it looks too empty, put more stools out. And we ended up with 13,000 stools out and 6,000 chairs inside. So a capacity of 19,000 over two nights. So we estimate that more than 40,000 people came over those two nights. And so we found that in the city, there were 214 congregations. In North Vietnam, 550 congregations working and participating together in this event. And there were, the week before, they had children's outreach. 3,000 or 5,000 children responded to the gospel. And then over the two nights, four, more than 4,250 people came forward in response to Franklin Graham sharing the gospel. That's just amazing. From where we started over 20 years ago, that in the first two decades, a lot of plowing, a lot of sowing of seeds, a lot of watering. Now in this past one year, seen so much fruit in one year that we hadn't seen in those 20 years. And every little video clip that just shows you uh, the people coming forward in response to uh, Franklin's gospel message. And it just gives you an impression. We were sitting there on the bleachers uh, on the side and my wife was taking this video on her phone, and we were just speechless of what God was doing and how he was using uh, all the events that took place. Is that coming, Mark? Yeah. Here they kept space open up front so people could respond afterwards. And the same thing happened outside where we had on the first night maybe 10,000, on the second night probably 15 to 20,000. Standing room uh, everywhere was so packed. The majority of them have never heard the gospel before in their life. And they were responding, just flocking forward. You just skip forward a little bit. They had to move the chairs. There was no more room. They ran out of time to take down the names and contact information. The response was just so overwhelming. And it was just an amazing, amazing event. You know, and when I first read this book, you know, the pastors weren't meeting together. They weren't praying together. They didn't have a vision for their whole city. But now they do, and just in a few years, God has really turned that around 
and use the relationships that we build. There's so much fear and trembling at first with local government and the police to where this was allowed to happen. It's just a wonderful, beautiful testimony. I just want to give glory to God. It's not me doing this and it's not just us working this. We didn't have clever methods, but God has really been doing this. So if you join me just in giving thanks to God with an applause. I'm running out of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was uh, it's just so inspiring. And John asked me to uh, give you a biblical foundation for uh, working together to reach our community. Uh, I've shared a lot more than what I, what I intended. I just want to give you uh, just a synopsis of Nehemiah. So I'm not going to be able to share everything that I wanted to share. Um, but if we can do this in Hanoi, you can do this here in Havertown, right? If we can do this in Hanoi, working with the security police, working with uh, religious affairs, with all the limitations that we've had, with all the historical background of that nation, and with all the concerns that they have, given the history of American influence and uh, the, it being American missionaries that started the church, that we now have built so much trust that we would allow that they would allow us to hold such an event. But I would just want to briefly introduce uh, Nehemiah to you as a. It's no longer forwarding. As a framework for community outreach, and, and Nehemiah, you know he. He lived after the exiles had returned to Jerusalem, after, during the time of Ezra, they had rebuilt the temple. But then when he was in uh, uh, working for the, the king of Persia as a cupbearer, God used him to start what he might have called the Love Jerusalem campaign. You know, I might have as well call it that, Love Jerusalem, organizing a public-private partnership between uh, the government of Persia and the leaders of Jerusalem and the various business owners and religious leaders in the city to rebuild that community, not just to rebuild a wall, but to rebuild a community. All right. I just want to highlight here that he went through a process. Uh, wait a minute. Where are we? Oops. So we're online now streaming this from an online PowerPoint. It started with a call. So how many are familiar with the story of Nehemiah? I would assume you know, you've all read it maybe more than once. And it started with a call of Nehemiah himself being brokenhearted. When the news came to him that the city was in trouble, you know, here he was in a palace, the winter palace of the king, serving as close to the king as anybody could get as the cupbearer. He was in charge of security. He was in star charge of finances for the empire. And he was also the one that would drink from the cup first and see if he would drop dead or not before he would give it to the king. That was his job. But when his brother came over with several others from Jerusalem and shared that the walls were still in rubble, 
God used that piece of news to break his heart. Now, we are so flooded with news today. You know, when we watch the news, it's not just local news, it's news from all across the state, it's news from all across the world, and we're so inundated with bad news that we just tune it out. You know, we can hear about the floods in, in India, but we don't even know about the needs just down the street. You know, and it doesn't touch us anymore, move us anymore to a point where we have to sit down and cry to God from, what can I do? How will you use me? God forgive us for letting it get us this far. Would you make a difference and change? And that's what happened to Nehemiah. When God used that bit of news of the disaster in Jerusalem, it touched his heart, gripped him, and he cried out to God, and he prayed to God for the forgiveness of his people and for him to use Nehemiah to make a difference. And as you know the story, he had to take a huge step of faith. And he had to take great risk, at the risk of his life, to approach the king, to cast a vision for changing the situation of Jerusalem. But he needed the, the authority and the permission, and he also needed resources. This, this time of prayer and fasting that Nehemiah had taken, God had instilled into Nehemiah a vision that was bigger than he could ever do by himself. And he needed all the help that he could get, and he had to start with asking permission from his government. And so when the, dinner, when the king had dinner with his wife, Nehemiah had a sad face, with what, which was not acceptable. Anybody could have been uh, killed or executed or he would have been fired or whatever, uh, put in prison for having a sad face in the presence of the king. But instead, the king asked him, what's wrong? They had a relationship. And he said, what's wrong? And he explained what, what he'd heard about Jerusalem and his vision for Jerusalem. And the king just... God ordained, gave him the permission to take time off his work, gave him permission to get all the resources that he needed, gave him permission to take an army with him, and he came to Jerusalem with this vision and with all these resources. But he was an outsider. And so it wasn't going to be him doing all the work for the people in Jerusalem. He needed the people of Jerusalem to do the work himself. And just in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, he had also to cast this vision. And so he first, you know, created this picture. We're in an urgent situation here. We're in a crisis here. The wall's broken down. We're oppressed by our surrounding nations. There's a lot of trouble here. But let me tell you the story of what God has done by letting my king and my government provide all this opportunity for us to make a difference. And after he shared the testimony about what God had done for him, the people said, we are going to do this. And so it was no longer Nehemiah doing this, but it was the people themselves implementing this vision for changing their community. And so after he had cast his vision and after the people said, we are going to build these walls ourselves, they all went to work shoulder to shoulder. And this was great. This is such a beautiful picture of what community development looks like. It's not the church doing something for our community, but it's all of us working together. The churches, the religious leaders, uh, the company owners. Uh, you had all kinds of businesses taking a piece of the wall and building them to back, uh, putting them back together. 
And then you had religious leaders working and you had uh, people from outside coming in and helping so that they're working shoulder to shoulder, rebuilding the wall. Over a time of 52 days, they had rebuilt that wall. And so Nehemiah's role became of coordinating all this labor, all this work, all this community uh, services that they were doing. But in the midst, he, he uh, faced all kinds of troubles, uh, both external and internal uh, difficulties. External, you know, people were benefiting from the bad situation. They were putting money in the pocket because Jerusalem was suffering. And that happens here in our society as well. People are benefiting from human trafficking. People are benefiting from the poor continuing to live in their rundown neighborhoods. People are benefiting from others being dependent on the social services. And he had to face those issues. But as well, he had to face internal issues. The, their own Jewish people were taking advantage of the poverty in which the people were. The nobles were t selling the children of their own people to foreigners, and that today is called child slavery. And Nehemiah was buying them back. And so the issues of those days are so much the same as the issues of today. And these issues Nehemiah had to face, and we have to face today as well, if we're trying to develop our communities. And so we had to confront all these conflicts. But at the end, when the wall was finished and these issues were dealt with, they celebrated together. And then you get towards the end of the book where they have this beautiful celebration where they're parading on the wall with choirs and worship service. And at the end of that uh, event, the government leaders and the noblemen and the religious leaders and all the people, they united together and signed a document and sealed it and said, we are committed to this community. The way it was in the past, we want to leave that behind. And this is a new normal. This is how we're going to live. And that's really what we're after. We don't want to just do things for people in our community and not really bring change. If we really want to change our communities, we need to change the culture in our community. And people need to change how they work. And we cannot do that by doing things for them. We can only do that by working with them together. And together with the businesses, together with other charity organizations, together with other religious leaders, together with government leaders, working together to create new communities. And that is really the story of Nehemiah. And uh, where's the clock over there? So that's in a nutshell, the whole sermon that I wanted to share with you, but it's here on a diagram. But Nehemiah is one of the scripture passages that gives us a great foundation for churches to engage in community services, not just to do projects for people in need, but to work with the people in themselves to see true transformation, where the result is that everyone is committed to this transformed community. And so it's been a pleasure to be here today and to share with you, to share with you from Hanoi, but really also to listen to you and to hear about the different things that you're involved with here in this area and across the world. I really want to commend you for your heart for missions, both locally and globally. So uh, thank you for allowing me to share this morning. I want to ask the to come forward. There and uh, 
and as I do that, perhaps also the worship team, and will you bow with me as they come forward? Father, we commit uh, the rest of these few minutes to you, that you would work in our midst. Thank you for the story of what you did in Hanoi, and uh, we ask God that you would uh, just to continue work in our midst right now as we bring our prayers before you. We pray in Jesus' name.